Good morning once again, church. Glad to be back, second week in a row. Hope it's feeling good for you. Uh, if it's not feeling good, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a remedy for you. You're just, you're dead inside. Um, but that's not us. We're, we're glad to be back. Uh, those joining us on Facebook, how you doing? Glad that you're there. Uh, it's weird times, uh, to say the least, again, but the fact that we're streaming on Facebook is just the most bizarre thing in the entire world. Uh, many of you know, famously, I don't have any social media accounts. Uh, and so I have no idea what's happening out there. Uh, many of you come up to me and say, hey, I'm sure you heard. And I'm like, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Uh, you're like, no, 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 we, we, uh, we, we, got a, uh, we got a puppy. And I'm like, I, have, I had no idea. What are you talking about? I got no clue. Uh, but it's certainly weird. We're glad to be using it. So Facebook people, welcome. Let me read for us the passages on which today's sermon is prepared. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 6, 6 6-11. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 13, 4. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Proverbs fifteen nineteen. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Proverbs 24. A sluggard says there is a lion on the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hands in the dish. He is too lazy to bring them back to his mouth. A sluggard is wise in his own eyes, wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Proverbs twenty six thirteen through sixteen. This uh, this these passages that we're we're going through in Proverbs, we're we're talking about sluggardliness, uh, and, and that's maybe an archaic term. Maybe it's not even a term you you've heard that much. Or a sluggard uh, sounds like um, uh, there was this website once. Uh, Luther had these insults for the, uh, during the Reformation, and it was an insult generator. You'd click the button, and there'd be a new insult that he gave uh, to people who were, were heretics. Uh, and sluggardliness, or sluggard, sounds like it should be on one of those, like an old-timey, insulty uh, kind of thing. And sluggardliness, we often, a lot of times, refer to as laziness. Uh, and that's partly true. Sluggardliness and, and being a sluggard is akin to laziness. And many of you are thinking to yourself, oh, okay, we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about activity. We're going to talk about how we are to remain active. Uh, no. <laughs> Sioux Falls, you got that down, okay? Arise. We, we have that down. If work needs to be done, work is done. There is activity. There is a lot, a lot of physical labor and exertion. People work hard and do a good job with that. I'm not talking about sluggardliness or being a sluggard as a lazy person who does not work. So, so then what am I talking about? Ah, you know, it's such a thing as not having or, or, or being a sluggard mentally, theologically. There's such a thing as not wanting to engage and do the hard work of thinking through some very, very deep doctrines because you and I might be a little too scared to venture down these roads. So today, I want to talk about what it means to be a sluggard theologically with doctrine, with, with the truths of the church. Now, here's why I think this is vastly important and why I want to talk about it today. It's vastly important because, church, 
right now, uh, the world is watching the church's response to things, to all things. We're constantly being watched, but especially now we're being watched to see a reaction that is thoughtful, that is, that is deep, that is meaningful, that is not flippant. What we've been talking about during this whole series is a third way, and the world's way is these ways when it comes to mental, having mental integrity. Option one with the world is dismiss people, shout them down, tell them how awful they are. If I outshout you, I win. That's one way of, of treating the world. The other way of treating the world is doing platitudes, is, is giving out these kind of pad answers to very, very deep things and counting it as such. Uh, I remember having a discussion with somebody one time. There was a pastor on the West Coast who was very, very um, brash, very aggressive. Uh, and he left his church and went to a different church, and I was having a conversation with somebody who said, we need more of that today. We need more people who, who aren't afraid to tell the truth and don't care the re- reactions or repercussions. That's one way of the world. The world does that because it hasn't thought through all the ramifications, hasn't thought through like I asked you last week to consider as a friend, do you approach somebody and assume that you might be wrong and work towards goodness? You don't come to them thinking I'm right. And then conversely, I've had other people say to me, I don't, I don't want to approach that situation. I want to talk about that. I don't want to discuss this deep theological truth. Can't we just rest on God as God and he is lovely and loves us and that's all we need to focus on? Well, that's sort of true as well, except for that's a platitude. That's something simple that you give. That's easily digestible. That's like a Hallmark card that you get for, for Mother's Day and you think, wow, you didn't even write in it, kid. Like, what are you doing? You just put your name on it? it, it it's, it's a flippant, quick Curt statements. Uh, here's one of my favorite ones that people do. This one of third, three ways, uh, and it's not the third way. They say, Clint, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to mental integrity, when it comes to scripture and theology, can't we just all admit God is so mysterious? We can't know him. We can't know God. God's, God's so unknown. He's so much above us. We, we can't know these things. We can't be definitive. Here's... Here's why that's fundamentally not the case. Here's why it's actually the third way. It's platitude. It's, it's a flippant thing to say. Because as we're going to discover through Proverbs, God has given us everything that he has, that was necessary for us to know him. And he wants us to engage with it. He, doesn't, he does say, I'm mysterious. My ways are above your ways. That is true. But then he doesn't say, so stop where you are and just whatever comes to you is fine. You can't know me and, and, and that's fine. No, no, no. He says, my ways are above your ways. So come after my ways. That's a positional statement, not a truth statement of how we are to pursue thoughtfulness. No, here, I'll, I'll give one more. I, I was going to say this later, I'll give it right now. Uh, the platitude that says right now, I don't see white or black, I don't see race, I'm colorblind. That's a flippant statement. You know why that's a flippant statement? Uh, what if I was to tell you your last name? Your, your name didn't matter to me. I don't see names. So I call you person. And every time I saw you, I just call you person. Hey, person. Hey, thing. Hey, object. See, we want to say to ourselves, no, no, I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. What you're actually saying is, is it's like saying this, or maybe your, your wife or your spouse, you look at them and say, I don't see beauty in you at all. You're just a vanilla sheet to me. You're just a blank outline of a thing. See, what we're actually doing when we, when we do that is we rob, you know how much the Bible talks about bloodlines? Jesus of Nazareth, 
Paul, a Jew. David, king of Israel. Bloodlines are incredibly important. And to say flippantly, I'm colorblind, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see those things, is actually to denigrate, to take away from what is there. See, what we need to do is we need to think through because the world is watching and we need to be thoughtful in our response. And Proverbs gives us a way. So church, I invite you today to engage in the deep, deep thinking of mental integrity that comes with Scripture, with Christianity. And at the end of this, I don't want you to simply say this. And I don't want to take away from this, but I don't want us to simply stop here. I don't want us to simply say, well, I believe in God because I feel him surround me. He's all around. I'm, I'm fine with that. I just feel him all around. And you can't take that away from me. I'm not looking to take that away from you. I'm looking to make it richer. I'm looking to make it fuller. So, arise. I ask you today, don't be a sluggard when it comes to mental integrity of scriptures. The same work that you put towards your job, towards your family, towards your, uh, your acreage, put towards scripture, put towards doctrine. So how do we get there? Well, first we need to describe what is a sluggard. Secondly, we need to find out how they got there. What's a sluggard, how they got there, and what's the remedy? What is a sluggard? It says in Scripture in Proverbs 6 uh, and 13 and 26, it says a sluggard is an, go to the ant, you sluggard. Find out how they, watch what they do. Witness what they do. They have no supervisor. They have no leader. And yet they work diligently. It says a sluggard's appetite is never filled. And then the last one, it says, a sluggard says, there's a lion on the road, a fierce lion. I can't go out. I'm, I'm too scared. What is a sluggard? Well, first and foremost, there's somebody who won't start anything. That's a sluggard. They won't initiate. They don't have compulsion. They don't engage things. They wait for things to come to them. They wait for discussions. They wait for uh, conversations. They wait for study to come to them. They, they're not active at all. They stay back. And why is that? Why, why are sluggards not like the ant who has no leader, has no supervisor, and goes out and does things? They're working. They're, they're fantastic. Here's why. Do you know what an ant understands about itself and what Proverbs is actually talking, and I can go elsewhere to, to discuss this, but have you ever uh, been confused on what an ant is doing? It's building up a hill, it's building up a family, it's building up a system, it's, it has a purpose, it has a meaning, it has direction, it has vision, it's been gifted everything that it needs to know, and an ant goes about working diligently, industriously. Do you know why sluggards will not initiate, why they won't start, why they have to go look, and why they actually have to have a supervisor over them, why they have to have a leader over them? It's because of this. It's because they feel they have not been equipped to do anything. It feels that they are, they, they treat God like this. When it comes to theological discernment and that we don't engage, many of you might have this feeling. Well, I just, I just don't understand the scriptures that much. I can't, I can't read the scriptures that much. It's too much beyond me. It's confusing as all get out. I, I can't touch this. Or maybe some of you say, look, in this discussion, I don't have the, the emotional integrity right now to deal with hard things with people and make statements about the truth of scripture. I, 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 can't, I can't lose this friend or I can't lose this person. If I, if, I, if I study scripture, if I make a statement, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm gonna lose people. See, there's this understanding that they, they're not equipped to handle the situation. Uh, have you ever seen a child? Uh, counselor, psychologist will, will, will tell us all the time. If you find a child who, who's having some trouble uh, in, in life getting out there, uh, 
engaging well. The child doesn't feel equipped. They feel like they've been abandoned in some regard. They feel like they, they don't have somebody looking out for them. They don't have a safe relationship off which to launch and to get out in the world. How many of us treat God that way? Oh, God created me. Yeah, I, I guess he gave me some things, but, but he's not here. If only God would tell me, I would listen. Have you said that? Have you heard that? If only God would tell me things, I would, of course, listen to him. Church, that's like saying, well, I need a supervisor. I need God around me at all times. I need him. I need a taskmaster. You know what God wants to say to you? Look at what he gave us, okay? If you go through scripture, look at what he gave you. He gave us nature. He gave us government. He gave us the church. He gave us fellowship. He gave us friendship. He gave us marriage. He gave us kids. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his word. He gave us revelation. He gave us everything necessary. Do you get to be, do be a Christian means that you are somebody who engages with everything that God gave them. He gave you everything necessary to understand him. He's not somebody that said, hey, hey, go figure it out. Come to me. And if you, if you pass the tests, if you do well, if you ascend the mountain, if you discern, if you take all the numerical understandings of the chapters and verses and put them in just the right order, you'll, you'll see me. He didn't do that. He said, I am not a God that, that, is, that is, when Paul is before the officials in the New Testament, he's defending his faith. You know what he says over and over and over and over again to, the, to defense of his face, faith? He says this, we're not doing anything in secret. We're open for anybody to come check us out. We're not in some back room deciding some theological points and saying, no, 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 you, you stay there, oh, you peasant people. <laughs> we, we will come up with doctrine and give it to you. He says, we did everything in open. We didn't do anything in secret. Come see. Why was he able to say that? Ah, Because it wasn't a taskmaster that Paul knew he had. He had a God that loved him, a father who supplied for him, a father who gave him everything necessary. Do you initiate or do you hesitate in initiation? Because you think to yourself, I'm not capable. I'm not ready. I can't do this. What did, what did God say to Moses? What did he say? I'm going to free my people. Why not? Surely not me. I can't talk. Don't worry. I got you. Don't worry. I have you. The Father's going to supply. Are you somebody who sees the ability God's given you and the intellect and the church and God's people and fellowship and the scriptures and the spirit as an embarrassment of riches? Essentially, here at church, I'm going to say it like this. You got no excuse to not like theology. You got everything you need. It's like sitting with all the ingredients in front of you at dinner and being like, and having the recipe and having the chef next to you and being like, I can't make dinner. Hey, you can. You may not want to, uh, but you can. You got the chef there. You got the recipe there. You got the ingredients there. You can do this. Next, it says of the sluggard that they won't complete things. It won't complete things. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? Get, when will you get up out of your sleep? Not only will you not initiate, it also says there's a line on the road. I, I, he buries his hand in his dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. He starts things, the sluggard starts, and then doesn't finish them. Do you know why the sluggard won't finish things? And maybe you have this view of God, and maybe uh, uh, your friends might have this understanding as well. You're somebody who can start things very excitable, but then you kind of peter out. Um, Now, look, I talk about 
my dark side tendencies a lot. I'm going to talk about my wife's dark side tendencies just for a moment. And yes, I told her I was going to say this. <laughs> she has many admirable qualities, but this is one quality in which she has expressed and confessed is a problem for her. Her, her sluggardliness as it pertains to God is this, and she actually expressed it one way. She said to me one time, she says, I keep the bare minimum with God at times. I have. Because if I do the bare minimum, if I do the things that I know are required of me, then I can't be punished. Then I can't get in trouble with God. Then, then dad's not going to be mad with me and, 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 and I'll be fine. I'm not going to complete things because I'm going to do just enough to be okay. And then if things are okay, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to move on to the next project, the next thing, the next understanding. I'm not going to complete it. I'm not going to finish it because I feel good about myself that I have just done enough. And what changed, she said what changed in her is when she understood that faith was not the minimum requirements to not be punished. Do you think that sometimes? Or do you do that with your family? With your spouse? I'm going to pick on men for a second again. Men, do you do this? I want to go fishing next weekend. So what do I have to do this week to make sure my wife's not mad at me when I ask her on Friday night if I can go fishing? Hmm, I know. I'll make sure to clean, the, clean up here and do this, and I'll, I'll just do enough. And then once you reach that point, how many of you were like me? You, you go into the teacher on the first day of courses in college. You're like, what do I have to get to pass the class? 75%? Good. 75.5%, here I come. We, didn't, we, we don't appreciate, we don't love, we don't say, ah, oh, I appreciate you, I love you. What we say is, how do I not get punished? A slugger won't complete things, won't do 100%, won't go all the way, because they think to themselves, and this is a reality. Church, hear me when I say this. Do you realize that you're using God when you do that? You're using your spouse when you do that? You're using your college education when you do that? You're not, you're not enjoying it, you're not loving it. You're not becoming more affectionate towards it. And that's what my wife finally realized. She said, it's not that I don't, it's not that I do the bare minimum to not get punished. That only stops. It's I get to do things in order to receive full revelation of God. That's what changed in her. It's not a, let's not get punished. It's a, I have the God of the cosmos talking to me. Oh my gosh, I want all of it. I want all of it. Oh my gosh, I get to love and serve my wife. Great, I want to do all of it. I want to serve completely not for my own end, but because I get to. Lastly, they're unfulfilled. It says in Proverbs uh, that the sluggard is somebody whose appetite is never filled, but the, the d- desires of the diligent are satisfied. Do you know what's so ironic about the sluggard? They're, they're scared, they're afraid, they don't initiate because they don't think they can do it. They don't complete things because they think they've just got the bare minimum. I've done just enough. Do you know what's so funny about, about that? They eat and eat and eat things up, and they're never satisfied. Uh, have you ever had a just a huge, disgusting meal of bagged, processed food? You just go into the, maybe, here, you gotta go into a gas station and just grab whatever food is there and eat it up, you Casey's pizza freaks. I just, I can't do it, I'm sorry. <laughs> You ever get it and you're like, oh, this is so good, this is so tasty. And then an hour later, you're like, oh, man, I'm hungry. Oh, man, I'm starving. Yeah, that, that bag of Funyuns was good, but oh, I'm starving. 
you know why? Because your body was made to have, to have incredible whole grains, complex nutritional aspects into our body to feed us, to fill us up. Because the sluggard looks and says, I'm going to consume and consume and consume and consume, but it's not going to be weighty. It's not going to be full. It's not going to be rich. And actually, the ironic thing is they're never, they're never satisfied. When it comes to theological truth, do you ever, are you somebody who can consume a great deal of Christian doctrine, of books, of, of videos, of podcasts? Are you that person? confessing right now. Every time you start a conversation, you say, oh yeah, I just listened to a podcast about that, right? Maybe that's you. It's certainly me at times. And you go through and and you have all of this understanding and you just cannot stop getting enough of it. And yet you're never satisfied. Why? Have you ever stopped and thought for a second that you're eating funyuns of theology? Have you ever stopped and thought "This this isn't the rich vastness of Christ, but platitudes and fake theology. And I'm never, why, why do I keep going to, why do I keep on saying, well, the next conference? In, in pastoral world, this is what happens. Uh, you meet people who go to five conferences a year. I'm like, oh my gosh, first of all, how did you get your church to sign off on that many vacation days? Sign me up. Secondly, you ask, well, what did you glean from it? Oh, it was just so good. Or maybe you've heard this. I just, that mountaintop experience. I need to get back to the mountaintop. Do you know what, why we say that? Because we went to the mountaintop and it was unfilling for us. And we feel like, I need to go again. I need to go again. I need to go again. You know what you're doing to God? You're treating him like a talisman. You're treating him like, like an experience. Like you're an adrenaline junkie for God, for theology. And you get it and you're like, oh, that was so good. And you're never satisfied. And yet the righteous say they are satisfied. Why? Because if you're, if you're eating and drinking good diet, you're not going to be doing the late night snacking. You're not going to be doing the, the fridge open at 2 a.m. Again, confessing here. What you're doing is you're going to be full. You're not going to need other things because you have, you have the incredible richness of Christ. And why do we do that? Or, or what is a slugger that does that? Because they're seeking their own truth. It says in the New Testament, we swapped out. We exchanged the truth of God for our own truth, for a lie. And that lie is gross, empty, bloated calories. Why do you keep eating it? Why do, you, why, why do we keep going to, to different wells? I've used this song so many times before. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and streams that you're used to. Why, why do we keep going for other things? Why, why, why? Ah, because they never fill us. That's a sluggard. How did they get there? This one's actually really, really, it's going to be the shortest of the points. So the sluggers do not plow in season. So at harvest, they, have, they, ha, they look but find nothing. Proverbs 24. They look but they have nothing. Do you know why sluggards are the way that they are? And if you're, if you're in this boat, this isn't condemnation. This is just awareness. We're going to get to how do we solve it here in a moment. But do you realize that sluggards are those who can't have foresight, who can't think ahead, who, like I said earlier, says, no, 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 I don't see white and black. I, there, there, is no, there is no understanding of, of race. I'm colorblind in my eyes. And you don't realize the unintended consequence is that you've actually denigrated and you've actually took away rich tradition. Uh, 
again, I'm going I'm to pick on the, the Dutch community here. When I got here and I would, I would ask people if they were Dutch, uh, and if they, they straighten the back, of course I am. What are you talking about? How dare you question that? Look at my last name. What if I said, oh, it doesn't really matter? That would, that would strike you to the core, and it should. Why? Because history is how we got here. History is important. The lines of how we got here is beautiful. Is it the most important thing? Heavens no. Is it important? Absolutely. See, the slogan of somebody who cannot see the unintended consequences, they don't think it out. They say statements very flippantly, very, very easily, but they lack the ability to see the ramifications of their actions, their decisions. They don't plow in season. They don't do the hard work when there's no fruit. I've, now look, I've, I've been almost a year in Sioux Falls, and I'm understanding, you know, when I see the, the corn futures on the news, it's the first time I've ever seen that in my entire life on the news. It's wild to me. <laughs> we're, we're tracking corn futures, and I still have no idea what that means, by the way. No clue what that means. I know it's up this week, and that's good. Okay. But, but when people, the farmers... When's the hardest work? When's the most incredible work? It's if they don't plow when the time is right, when the season is right, when there's not flooding, when the weather's good, when they can't capitalize. They're not going to have any food come, come harvest time. Or let me put it like this. Uh, sports people will get this one. Do you know when the, the, most, the most pressing time is to, to better yourself? It's not in-game. The game exposes how well-prepared you are. That's the truth of the matter. Alan Iverson famously said, as a basketball player, he's famously said, practice. Why are we talking about practice? I don't, I don't need to practice. I just go out there and ball. You know how many championships Alan Iverson won? Zero. See, the truth of the matter is a slugger does not want to put in hard preparation, difficult conversations. They don't want to sit uncomfortably. They don't want to go plow because it's too early in the morning or it's a little too cold. Are you somebody who theologically can't engage with the deep truths of Scripture and you come up with reasons? Or maybe you say this, there might be a lion out there. I don't know. I, I got, look, look, I can't engage. It might hurt me. I can't get into that deep conversation because it might ask me to become less of myself. I can't engage in this deep truth of God because it actually might challenge my understanding and I might be wrong. Have you ever done that? That's what a sluggard does. A sluggard is not willing to put in the hard work of bearing and plowing and planting and then wait and a harvest comes. We want things now. Uh, many of you have been frustrated because you come into me and you say, hey, Clint, I got a question for you. What do you think about, and then you fill in the blank with whatever you, you know. And I say, I'd love to talk about that with you. Want to set up a meeting? And you're like, no, 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 just tell me what you think. I'd love to sit down and talk about that with you. You want to set up a meeting? No, 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 what do you think? I'd love to talk about that with you. You want to set up a meeting with me? Why? Why? Because every single person that has come to me and demanded an answer on the spot is just looking to see, do I agree with you? Do I not? Can I dismiss you? Can I not? They don't want to put in the hard work of relationship. They don't want to put in the hard work of saying, let's study this together. A sluggard wants instant gratification. Okay, so what's the answer? How do we grow? And for this, I'm going to give two points. Uh, it comes from Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. 
Now let's do some work here. The path of the upright. You know what it means to be upright? To be, to be right it means to be righteous. It actually, we can go on, and the Proverbs actually talk about this in the New Testament, picks up on this theme. It actually talks about being holy as God is holy. You know that in Scripture? It says, be holy as God is holy. Now, is that telling us, be Jesus? Uh, if you grew up in a day and age, as I did, everybody was wearing these white and black bracelets that said WWJD. It's supposed to remind you, oh, I need to be like Jesus. Okay, let me state this from the ongoing, just from the onset. You can't. Everybody's like, what would Jesus do? He would die on a cross. So you want to hop up on a cross and die for my sins? No? Cool. (laughs) When Scripture says, be holy as I am holy, when it says the path of the upright, what is it talking about? How can we do that? Uh, I want to talk for a moment about justification. Justification, as Luther said, one of the reformers, he said, it is the theological point. It is the doctrine on which the church falls or stands. If your church doesn't have justification at its heart, it will fail. If your church has justification at its heart, it will succeed. And as Christ says, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. What is the, the, doc, the theological point of justification? It says this. You have legally, forever and completely, been removed from sin and placed in Christ, and there's nothing that can change that. Not your good works, not your bad works. Not somebody else's good works. Not somebody else's prayer. Not somebody else's giving. You can't give enough to the church to, to get out of sin. You can't give not enough to keep yourself in sin. Justification is Christ's work on the cross that completely forever, once and for all, brought you out, paid your debt, said it is free and clear. It is done. But it doesn't stop there. Because the second half of justification is this term called sanctification. And it basically means this. God can only do something and bring you into salvation. And then sanctification is our working with God to learn what that means. It's working with God to learn what that justification means. Many people, I dare say, the church, come to church, love the gospel, love Christ dying for them, but then they go back to their old ways because it's actually simpler. You know how simple it is to understand if I do wrong, I do something good, it's all paid out, I'm fine, I'm good to go, canceled, let's move. That's an easy transaction because you know what i do all day long? I would just write down my things and then I'd say, well, if I gave a dollar for every one of these things, I'd be good and go. If I gave a good word for every bad word, I'd be good to go. Karma, Right? karmic understanding of put good in the world, good come back, put bad in the world, bad comes back. I want to put good in the world so it goes back to me. What justification says is this, you can't put enough good in the world for it to come back because you've, you have looked at God and you have spat in his face and said, I don't want you, I want myself. And he wiped off that spit and he said to you, my son will come and die so that you never have to feel that again, so that you never have to think that again. I will provide a way. The path of the righteous, the upright, the justified is good. It's a blessing. See, the more you understand justification and the more you understand your standing before God cannot be changed based upon what you do. You know what it actually allows you to do? You get to do good work. You get to do things. You don't have to do them. You get to do them. Uh, they actually did a study on uh, smoking uh, ads in, in America. And what they found out is they tried to do these counter ads for all the, the smokers in the world. And they said, hey, if you keep smoking, you're going to die. Watch out. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And it just got doldrum over and over and over. And nobody was really changing. 
But then they came out with this ad. And they said, after two weeks of not smoking, your lungs turn back to 80% of the capacity it was before. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh. Oh, there, there's, I get to do this because health will come to me? It's not doom and gloom, do this or you die. I get, I get to? Church, when you look at the theological uh, laziness that we have in our world, it's because people are afraid of being punished by God. And the more that you are justified, the more you get that, the more you will actively pursue his ways, knowing and saying this, I don't have to have it all right because he's supply. If I get this wrong, he's still got me. I don't have to make it perfect because I'm not going to die. I can't screw this up. It is a bomb for me. It is a, it is a warm blanket for me to understand that if I mess up a sermon, God's church will not be, will not be in tatters. Oh, do you know how freeing that is for me? How freeing is for you to engage in theological truth, knowing that you cannot, will not ever screw up God's church. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to, to tie this all together, and I was listening to a sermon this week uh, by a pastor I, I appreciate, and uh, I think he, he used something from the Old Testament that I think exemplifies this well. Let me tell you it now. In 2 Samuel 23, uh, David is running, he's fleeing, he's, he's getting away from his enemies. David is a king of Israel in the Old Testament, and he's running and fleeing, and he can't do anything right, and, and, and he's looking at his beloved city, and he can't get back into it, and he's been annexed, he's been exiled. And with David are called these mighty men of David, and he, he chose them, uh, they, they loved the king, they followed the king, they did everything the king wanted because they just appreciated him and loved him so much. Uh, and David looks down at his city and he goes, oh, and, and he's kind of lamenting to himself. Uh, it's kind of like he's talking in his car by himself. And he says, oh, if only I could have a drink of that sweet water of the well by the gate. The, the, the water in their beloved city was, was sweeter than the rest of it, I suppose, or, or better tasting, or just the fact that he could engage with it. So he said, if I had that, if I was able to drink that, oh, my soul would be refreshed. And then he walks away. And there's these two his mighty men overhear this. You know what they do? They didn't go to him and say, hey, tell us what to do. Hey, what should we do? You know what they did? They heard the king sigh. They got up their swords. They fought through enemies. They went to the gate. They got the cup of water, and they brought it back to him. This was, a, this was an occupied city. Enemies all around, death, probably certain they heard the sigh of the king and they said, we get to go give him a drink of water and bring it back to him and gift it to him. Do you see, church, that's, that's not sluggardliness. Do you sometimes go to the church and be like, hey, uh, tell me what I can do to help out the church? If you've done that, great. I hear your heart. I know your intentionality. I get that. Uh, I encouraged one person who came to me and said, hey, can you start a prayer meeting? She's not here. She'll be here next service. I'll tell the story again. Don't worry. She said, can we start a prayer meeting? And I said, no. I said, why? We need to pray. I was like, yeah, you're right. Who are you praying with? She said, well, I don't know. Start praying with people. Well, what if I don't know how to pray? Start praying with people. Well, well what if I screw it up? You can't. You see, when the, when the mighty men of David heard his sigh, the king's sigh, they went and they did. Do you hear God's sighs? And do you activate? Do you complete? Do you finish? Do you start? Do you initiate? 
Do you not give excuses? Oh, there's a line on the road. I don't know, Clint. It's really hard to talk through this. It's too much pain to talk through this. Do you hear your king sighing? Are you willing to go to fight through, to do the hard work to bring your king a cup of water? And why, why do you get to do that? Man, you love the king. Why the mighty men do that? It'll get us better standing. They were his mighty men. I, you couldn't get more into the inner circle with David. Well, I get access to the king. You have it. Well, I get, I get a special title. You got that too. The mighty men of David had everything to lose, nothing to gain. Why did they do it? Ah, uh, because they loved their king. Do you, do you see your love and affection of Christ so much that you want to engage in what he loves to engage in? And are you willing to do it not for what you get, but because what he gets? You bring that water back to him? Church, I've, I've used this analogy. How many of you with children look at your child, bring home a thing from school that is not artistic? What's your words? Oh, honey, it's beautiful. Do you get that that's what God does with us? By the way, nobody's Picasso in here. Don't even try. Go to God. Bring him a cup. Not because of what it gets you, because you've already been given everything. You get to work with him. And that frees you to activate, to finish, to complete. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for Proverbs. Let us not be sluggardly in our theology. Let us not shy away from hard conversations thinking that we can't do it. You've supplied everything we possibly need and more. May we not be people who are terrified, but rather, Father, may we be people who lean into your work because of what you've already done. May our justification bring us sanctification. May we activate because you activated first. May we take your gospel that is in us to others freely. Son's holy and precious name I pray, amen.